Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastep. And I'm Scott Ravely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. Um, how are you, Scott? I know we started late. This is totally my fault. I was getting ready for a ministry thing we have tonight and lost track of the time, but we're here. We're ready to go. And you know what? It's going to still come up at the same time for everybody. So They won't know. It's, it's no gonna, big it's deal. It's going to come like their feeds 30 minutes prob- late. You probably need to like X that part out. So No, it'll be great. Because it'll be the same time. Same time, same place for everybody. So, yeah, um, I'm okay. I'm not letting external things rattle me. <laughs> nice. Scott the Stoic. This is the... <laughs> <laughs> so you, today we're talking about Stoicism. <laughs> you may, you may, that may come into play here in a little bit. I don't know. But. Anything, anything else? You have a bunch of external things. They're not affecting you. That's all. All right. Well, I want to share about one of the things I do to engage the city. Um, for Actually, we're, we just finished up four years. Um, uh-huh. I've been leading a, a reading group uh, through the Westland Library um, for four years. We ca- I call it the Westland Great Conversation. And we read the great books. And the great books, when they're all combined, that is the great conversation because the people who wrote the great books – um, they tackle the same thing, usually something about the pursuit of the good, the beautiful, and the true. And they begin to reference and respond to each other as those books go. So, uh, and eventually, if you build all that out, you have the foundation of Western civilization. So wow. as we're reading these books, we're going, oh, yeah, that's why we think about that, and that's why we do that, and that's why um, we engage these things or care about these things. And we started reading Homer, uh, so the Od- or the Iliad and the Odyssey, that was four years ago this, wow. this month. Okay. Um, those things you read in high school or, or skimmed in high school. Uh, and then we read some Plato. We read some Socrates. We read some Aristotle, um, the Bible, of course. And, uh, yeah, I just, we just celebrated four years of that in January. And in January, we uh, discussed Epictetus. So Epictetus I'm is— I'm speechless. He has nothing to say. Epictetus is a <clears throat> Stoic— um, well, I, before you go into Stoicism here, I just have to say, I have many Westland mediocre conversations, and I read the Westland mediocre books. <laughs> so there you go. The great books are better than the <clears throat> mediocre books. They probably are. And so we're going to let you uh, drive us into Stoicism today. <laughs> um, so Stoicism is a philosophy, and now it's an adjective. Someone can be Stoic, and and Scott referenced himself being Stoic today when he described external things, uh, but not being affected by them, not showing um, emotion or uh, effect um, or really passion about anything, Um, not being affected by external circumstances. Well, the the virtue is to remain Mm -hmm. uh, unflappable Mm -hmm. in the face of adversity, Mm -hmm. And you do that by distancing yourself from that right. adversity or mentally distancing yourself if you can. Right. Um, so 
now we talk about it as a virtue or a characteristic. Uh, but back in the day, a long, long time ago, um, there were Stoic philosophers that were trying to describe Stoicism as a way of life. And um, maybe today's episode is just me against Epictetus. I don't know. Uh, wow. Because uh, to large degree, I disagree with Epictetus. Um, I want to start with where I agree with Epictetus, because I think Stoicism can be helpful. And I think you, we can kind of banter back and forth about that. But Stoicism, in general, can be a super helpful tool. Um, it can be a great tool for specific situations. Um, there, uh, so w- several quotes from Epictetus. One of them, man is not worried by real problems so much as by his imagined anxieties about real problems. So Epictetus spends a lot of time focusing in on how are you thinking about this thing? How are you um, choosing to deal with this whatever situation? That uh, sounds really practical and really modern. It, yeah, which is part of the reason I want to talk about this. I think I know <laughs> a lot of people who are, are not worried about real problems, but about what they imagined about real problems. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, another one, any person capable of angering you becomes your master. He can anger you only when you permit yourself to be disturbed by him. That's super helpful if you ponder that. Um, I can think of many situations, maybe a work situation. It's just really, you, you got the coworker that just drives you crazy. And every time you show up to work, you pass his desk and you go, ah, oh, there's that guy again. I hate my job. I, I hate interacting here. Um, you're allowing that person to become your master to some degree or your interaction with them. And Epictetus, Stoicism says, hey, why don't you ponder that and don't do that. You don't, you don't have to let that interaction control you. Um, he talks a lot about choice. He talks a lot about how are you going to choose to respond? How are you, what are you going to allow to influence you? And his big, um, big thing is if you don't have control over something, then you shouldn't really worry about it. If you can't influence something or change something, if you can't change the circumstance, the external thing coming in, don't waste any time uh, being full of angst about it because you can't change it. Um, so decide that that's not something I can control and then, and then move on. Um, and I think in a lot of situations, that's that can be a helpful tool. Maybe it's the work situation. Maybe it's the, um, maybe it's, a situation in your neighborhood, your na- your neighbor drives you crazy, whatever. There's many options for this. Well, can I just interrupt here and confess? Apparently, I'm a stoic. <laughs> okay. You called me one already, uh, and I didn't even know it, but... <clears throat> I'm a I, stoic, and I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. But my... Yeah. Anyway, I ended up, um, unbeknownst to me, teaching stoicism to my softball team. mm um, because one of the main things that goes wrong when, well, a lot of things go wrong when you're playing softball, but one of them is a bad call by the umpire. Mm-hmm. They call a, they call a strike on you and you thought it was a ball and you didn't swing. And then now you're down in the count and guess what? You have no control over that. So don't let that influence you. Mm-hmm. So what the next pitch basically. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that a lot of the, the people that I had been utilizing as in, you know mentors and coaching have been uh, informed by stoicism. Oh, and interesting. So I'm a, um, unknown. I, I, I didn't realize that I was quite such a stoic. Oh, that's fascinating. So being 
informed how to coach by people who were influenced by stoicism and thus mm-hmm. passing it on to your... You know what? Our team name should have been the Epictetus. Epictetus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. We'll see if we can recover from that. <laughs> that wouldn't fit on the front of the jersey anyway, right. so there you go. Right. Well, and another one, maybe in the coaching sphere or just in the learning sphere in general, one of his quotes is, uh, if you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. Meaning, if you're going to start learning something, you're you're going to start by doing it incorrectly. Maybe you're learning how to swing a bat or hit learn a ball Spanish. Or, or learn Spanish, as we learned that Scott's doing last week. Um, <sighs> if you're going to improve, rather than say, I'm only going to do this thing if I can do it perfectly, if you actually care about improving, care about learning, realize that's going to be a process. And people are going to think uh, think that you're foolish and think that you're stupid. And you can decide, I don't care what they think because I'm in process and I'm, I'm figuring it out. That's, a, that's another one of the tools of stoicism that I think hmm. can be applied well. That's, that's a helpful piece. Um, in the same kind of vein, he says, first say to yourself what you would be and then do what you have to do, which is just make a goal. And figure out your first step and start mm. walking that direction. Um, wow. <laughs> now, now I'm really disturbed that i am been discipled by all these Stoics. And I'm just like sitting here. Um, You're going, stu- yeah, I'm that's stewing good. in my Stoicism. <laughs> this is like really something. Oh, that's funny. Um, a couple other things that I, I think are helpful before I go to the disagreeing part. Oh, I'm going to need that because right now I'm a Stoic. You're just all in. That's right. Um, as I was, re- we were reading the discourses specifically, and he used the phrase, in what respect, a lot. Uh, maybe a question is asked, uh, what do you think about this? Or do you think this thing is good? And he would say, well, in what respect? In what respect is it good? In what, in what angle are you referring? And I, I think that's just a helpful question to ask in general. Well, first of all, that's not a Stoicism question. Okay. That's a, that's just a um, pay attention, be rational sure. thing. Because I ask that about theology all the time. Mm. People, you know, about theology, which sure. the Stoics wouldn't, right. of course. But um, people want to know is, um, does God love people who aren't Christians? Or does God love the world? Or mm-hmm. does God love the church? Mm-hmm. Or does he love some people more than others? In all of those things, you just have to say, in what respect? Right. Because there is a respect in which you could answer yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. But um, in gen- you just can't say in general yes or no. You have to say in what respect. Right. But a very good question. Yeah, uh, that, that's but, probably the question of a philosopher. But really. yes, don't, don't let don't, – I, I, the other stuff I could like say, oh, I could concede to Stoicism. But that one, that one not so much. you got to use that everywhere. And then one other – Maybe two others. One other, um, he was describing impressions uh, as we experience input from the world. And he said, impressions come to us in four ways. Either things are and appear so to be, so that they are what they appear to be, um, or else they are not and do not appear to be, so still what it appears to be, but it's not, um, or else they are and do not appear to be, or else they are not and yet appear to be, which was <laughs> mind blown. Which was, wow. which was helpful because it, it, it's a little bit in the in, res, in what respect thing. Um, you you could see something and say that looks like it's good, but in reality, it's actually um, it's actually bad. And just thinking about what that's you're, we're just talking about the nature of things. And that one was helpful for me to just think about. Okay, stuff is coming in. It may be true and look true. It may be false and look false. It may be true 
and look false, and it may be false and look true. And I need to be discerning in the way I come in, uh, come into these things, and not just take on input and go, "This is this is what it is," and and just keep running. Um, mm. So maybe more on the philosophical side, not just the stoicism side, but well, well. So some of what I'm getting out of this um, is that there's just some wisdom in reading these other people, mm-hmm. and the reality is that we ended up talking to people who are not what they appear to be all the time or buying a product that isn't what it appeared to be all the time. So yeah, that's a very practical um, way to look at the world there. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, and this is mainly because the quote I just think is bonkers. Uh, This is kind of on perspective, like um, taking the inputs, uh, your observations and putting them in perspective and not really not reacting to them inappropriately. Uh, So he says, so when I sail out to sea and peer down into the depths and look at the waters all around and see no sign of land, I immediately lose my composure and imagine that I'll have to swallow all that seawater if the ship goes down. It never occurs to me that three pints would be enough, which is just a really morbid thought. Um, What is it then that is troubling my mind, the sea? No, my judgment. Again, how are you going to think about this thing? Or again, when there is an earthquake, I imagine that the whole town is about to crash down around me, and yet wouldn't one small stone be enough to knock my brains out? <laughs> Which is just funny. It, it's funny that he wrote it down like that. Um, but I think this is helpful, in it, and I was reminded as I read that, um, whenever, you, uh, whenever you have a baby, whenever um, my, my wife got pregnant, it and we would, me all you've the never, time. that's never happened to you. Um, whenever... Uh, my wife got pregnant and then we, I'd start reading the books and, and trying to figure out what do we do and talking with the doctor and all this stuff. So many times that something would come up and say, hey, there's a one in 1,000 chance that um, this might happen. And, you're, and you would see the one and not the 1,000 and think, oh, that's a, that's a possibility. And you would um, pinpoint all your fear into that one and just have reason to be stressed out. And I think it's the same thing. Like, what, what's the perspective here? This one is kind of the, the mm-hmm. inverse of that. Like, oh, the whole ocean will kill me. Well, it only takes three pints to drown you, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, or all this, this building's going to fall down. Actually, it's only going to take a, a large pebble to knock you out. Um, and I think it's just realize what numbers you're dealing with and what numbers are actually needed, what, what magnitude of things is actually important, and have the proper response. So, again, that, that how are you going to react? How are you going to emote? How are you, what kind of passion are you going to have about a specific thing? And it should be fitting. It should be proper. Um, so I read a bunch of Stoicism. I read some Epictetus. And I think Stoicism can be really helpful at the individual level, at the coaching level, at the work level, at the how do I think about the fact that I got, I got called a strike and I don't really think it's a strike. Mm-hmm. Um, that's helpful. Move on to the next thing. Keep walking. Um, this is a helpful tool for me all the time in my mechanical contracting job. Like the customer does something I don't want want them to do or says the thing that I want them to say. And I can go, oh, I can't believe they sent me that email. Or I can't believe they didn't look at the last seven emails I already sent them and get the information, except they're asking for it again. Like mm-hmm. I can't change that. Um, so I can move on. And rather than ruin my day, I can uh, move on to the next task. And that's, that's helpful. Um, but I think uh, stoicism purports to be a philosophy. Philosophy is the, the words literally mean a love of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a philosophy is a love of wisdom. A philosophy is a pursuit of wisdom. Um, and I would contend that a pursuit of wisdom is offered as a way to work out an organizing principle for life, 
how, how ought life to be organized? How, if we are wise, we know how life ought to be and, and what the, the actions would be in life. And I don't think that is just for the individual. I think that's for everybody. And if my pursuit of wisdom terminates on me, and I'm going to do this thing, and I don't really care what happens to anybody else, I think we broke something. Because that is not something that I can extrapolate out into how we organize ourselves, how we organize politically, um, communally. Uh, how, how are we going to organize a city around a bunch of people that all decided, okay, I'm only going to care about the things that affect me? Well, that doesn't, it's That's, pretty hard to organize a city if you do it that way. Yeah. Um, and truth be told, it's hard to organize a softball team that way too. Sure. And, and what, what you're saying is that stoicism may be helpful, but it only goes so far. Right. And, you know, I mean, it would only go so far in softball, too. I mean, you got it. So something goes wrong in the batter's box. It might be helpful. Take a deep breath, you know, get back in. Don't let the past mm -hmm. thing affect you. But if you just have an entire bench of stoics right. sitting there during the game, it's, you know, nobody's going to have much fun, number one. Number two, there's going to be little, if any, energy because everybody's working at at having things not affect them. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're coaching when I was coaching, I mean, it was like the most fun was on the bench. Everyone's cheering and singing and, and that's Being not stoic. <clears throat> right. And you, <laughs> you coach that too. Right. Because that's what makes it a team. That was, that's mm -hmm. why it's not an individual sport. Right. And you know, what we're talking about with life and what you're saying, this is where you depart from stoicism is that it's not, um, life is not an individual sport. Right. And that's, I think, what you're mm -hmm. kind of where you're making the turn here and probably where it breaks down with things in church where it breaks down in things with public life mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it isn't, uh, you know, in, in that regard, I'm more stoic than you because I did not let great conversations affect me. I kept my distance from this mm -hmm. other thing that didn't affect me, whereas you jumped in. Mm-hmm. And you invested in other people and in just in the very fact, the very act of doing Wesleyan Great Conversations, you weren't stoic. Mm. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you were engaging something you didn't have to engage that might affect you negatively or something mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Here's a, and speaking about the individual piece, here's how Epictetus mentions it. Um, when someone consulted Epictetus about how he could persuade his brother to stop being ill-disposed toward him, he said, Philosophy doesn't promise to secure any external good for man, for it would then be embarking on something that lies outside uh, its proper subject matter. For just as wood is the material of the carpenter and bronze that of the sculptor, the art of living has uh, each its individual individual's own life as its material. So he is focusing in on what, what material we're working with, the individual's own life. And to, in some regard, I'm reading this thinking this is, this is, this is modern self-help stuff. I've, I've read this stuff before. I've read the mm -hmm. how, to, how to tackle life um, in a more effective way. And um, whether, it's, whether it's workflow stuff or just how should I view my, my life, what, those different self-help books, he, Epictetus may be one of the first self-help people. It just that, that focus oh, on yeah. the individual. And, and, um, and we were talking before we started about how many um, – how many of those books we've read and those people are influenced by stoicism. Mm -hmm. One of my, the more interesting reads I've had in, in the last two years was probably four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. And that guy loves stoics and yeah. he, he's just steeped in stoicism. So, 
Um, this has been in the, the current of our culture for a long time. Uh, this is probably two, uh, around 100 AD, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So there was about a 500 year period between like 350 BC mm-hmm. and 150 AD where uh, Stoicism reached its height. And it, you know, it, it is, it can be helpful on an individual level and not mm-hmm. be helpful organizing um, the world. Right. You know, organizing right. a family. You do not want a family of Stoics. Right. Their birthday parties would be awful. Yes. <laughs> you know, really. I mean, you, you want, uh, you want a, a situation where people are in it for each other. Mm-hmm. And you want that in great conversations. You want that in a softball team. You want that at church. You want that, I want that in, in my life group. In public life, yes, yeah. as well as church life. Right. Which is, I think that's kind of what you're getting at here um, with Epictetus. Right. And here's one other longer quote that I think points to he's more focused on our own judgments rather than I think he missed what is good and what is beautiful and what is true. Um, he's, he's searching for it, but I think he misses it. And here's, here's a longer quote. Uh, he says, what is it then that disturbs and frightens the majority of people, the tyrant or his guards? Uh, how so? In no way at all it, it is impossible that that which is by nature uh, should be disturbed or impeded by anything other than itself. No, indeed, it is our own judgments that disturb us. And he kind of tells a story. For when the tyrant says to someone, I'll have your legs shackled, um, one who attaches value to his legs will apply, reply, no, have pity on me. While one who attaches value by contrast to his choice will say, if you think that will do you any good, chain it up. And the tyrant says, you don't care? Not in the least. Um, I'll, I'll show you that I'm master. And he says, how will you do that? Zeus has set me free. Obviously not a Christian. Um, do you really suppose that he would allow his own son to be turned into a slave? You're master of my carcass. Take that. So you mean to say that when you enter my presence, you will pay no attention to me? No, but rather to myself. But if you want me to say that I'll attend to you too, I'll reply that I'll do it in the same way as I do to my cooking pot, which I'll give, I'll give you that much attention as I do my frying pan. Um, so you can see where the, the choice comes in for him. If I value my leg, the fact that you have in, impeded my movement because you've shackled my leg um, will affect me. But if I, if I decide, no, I don't value my leg, I don't value any of those things, you can't affect me anymore. And I read that and to some degree went, okay, that, that might be helpful if you're in prison, I guess, and actually shackled, but you're also ignoring the fact that that's not okay. <laughs> you're ignoring that mm-hmm. something unjust is happening. Um, and you're, you have focused so much on the individual that you can't say, hey, how, how ought we to um, organize society in a way that's good, beautiful, and true? Um, how can we do the just thing? And he's talking about a tyrant here, which should kind of set off alarm bells. If there are tyrants, something's broken. Um, there, someone is... <laughs> just the start of the story just, is just the, the, the problem. Start of the story. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I kind of, I step off away from stoicism um, because of the emphasis on the individual and just the constant question of what can affect me, um, what ought affect me. I, d- I don't want to live in just an individual realm. And um, I think the, the view of life that we should have, as, the, the one that the Bible gives, is one that um, is bigger than the individual realm. One of the things uh, Epictetus talks about is freedom. And he says that the person is free that lives as he wishes who can neither be constrained nor hindered nor compelled, whose motives are unimpeded, and who achieves his desires and doesn't fall into what he wants to avoid. Who wishes then to live in error? 
And I read that, and as I was reading that, I thought, that is only true if you have good desires. If you have properly desired what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, what is just, um, if you have the wrong desires, you could be free, I suppose, and be completely broken. Um, but Stoicism doesn't allow for that. He'll, he, he talks about nature quite a bit. Uh, if we just do, do what is natural, which I think ignores how broken we are naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was thinking about freedom, I think the, the best, the, the good life is actually a constrained life. Um, I put myself in constraints often, uh, it, community in constraints. Um, I put myself in accountability with other people and say, hey, I want you to have a view onto my life and direct me another way if I'm, I'm going a way that I shouldn't go. Um, and I think the good life, the, the joyful life, the delightful life is one probably less free. Ordered may be a good way to talk about that. Um, and I think that's, that's where stoicism misses. And I and because of that, you can't organize society. You can't organize the way people ought to live together. Well, it, that's a big miss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it isn't just it misses, you know, it has a glancing blow mm -hmm. on that because the, the, the freedom who lives as he wishes is neither constrained, hindered, compelled, whose motives are unimpeded, who achieves his desires and doesn't fall into what he wants to avoid. I mean, that is, that is just the picture of anarchy really if every single person has no limits right on their desires or motives um and everyone did what was right in their own eyes exactly in fact it's it may be stoicism that uh is in view in that mm. uh, in that scripture even mm. but um yeah that is a uh an important thing to distinguish because what while it may i might be drawn to it because it helps mm -hmm. my softball team do better uh, or it might help me not get angry when I'm out driving because I have no control over the other drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, that may be all be well and good, but it doesn't. Uh, once I get out of the car and see someone else, mm -hmm. it no longer works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up, not just because I read it and I'm a nerd that reads really old books, uh, but because those books I'm reading are the foundation of Western civilization, and this line of thinking and these principles, I think, um, sit at the bedrock of our culture, uh, of American, Western culture in general, American culture in specific. Um, I don't know if you know, but we're very individualistic. We are often, that, that freedom quote I just gave, that could have been said yesterday. That could have been said in 1776. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and if you are not careful, you will be pulled in this way of thinking because it's everywhere. This is in the way we ponder, in the way we um, say what is valuable, what is good. It's in the self-help books. Well, let, let, I mean, let's just think about that for a minute. If this is the foundation for Western civilization, because others might argue, well, Christianity is a foundation for Western civilization. Mm -hmm. I said in the foundation, I think. Well, I, I, still, I'm, I'm yeah. not picking on what you said. I'm, I'm actually going to, to take it one step farther and say both of those ideas— lay at the foundation mm -hmm. of Western civilization and they rest uneasy on each other. Right. And there is sort of a fissure that will, uh, or a, like the San Andreas fault of Western mm -hmm. civilization really is right there. And there will be earthquakes because the individual takes over from the, the virtue or the value of right. the community. Right. And so there is this, 
and I, and I think one of the things that's I, I wanted to say that because I do think there are people who say, well, no, no, Americans are a Christian country. It, it has Western civilization has only Christian roots. Mm. I think that's to ignore a very big um, piece, especially about freedom, mm-hmm. that comes in and um, um, disforms our communal life as well as our Christianity. So right. anyway, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think in contrast to this uh, individualistic um, strain in the foundation, I want to point us and remind us to um, remind us of the fact that God designed us to be in community, designed us to be with people. Um, we we are individuals to be sure, but that's not the primary place of our identity. Uh, I would venture to say uh, who you are in community is as important, if not more so, than who you are on your own. And the first one that comes to mind for me, the most influential identity that I have, is being in Christ. I belong. Um, to Christ, I, in the the biblical languages, as in Christ, that is a communal um, communal identity. I am with Christ. I'm with other people who are also in Christ. Um, the The primary identity that I have is that, which is countercultural is not the word, but that's in contrast to uh, the Stoic way of thinking. Um, the other one that came to mind for me is that God made us in His image, not just me, uh, male and female. He created them. We are there. From the very beginning, as we're reflecting God, we are in community. We're with other people. And that is the category that gives us value and worth and dignity. And it is a category we share with others, not one that we hold on our own. Um, And all throughout Scripture, we are exhorted, we're encouraged, we're commanded to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, care for one another, sell your stuff for the needs of one another. The common common thread there is the one another. There's Mm -hmm. always me and you or... um, me with everyone else. It's not just me. It's not just me by myself. And I think we find meaning, we find joy, we find importance. And I think we find the good life when we are in community, not when we're alone. And I think the emphasis, uh, we, are, we will be against the, the current, as it were. Uh, but I think when we pursue that, the community piece, it's just, it's going to be good. We're going to have the good life there. Um, you might have a harder life. You yeah. Well, I've already talked about constraining myself. Or an unpleasant, more unpleasant right. life because there are unpleasant people that you might be in communion with. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I do think that's a key. Uh, the communities that are best for me to be in don't necessarily have people that will never strain. <laughs> they don't strain have the easiest people in them. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're going to be in community with people that annoy you. And I think a, a stoic uh, posture there would be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disengage from this person enough so that I don't let them affect me. But a, it, a proper um, posture in community um, would be, I'm going to be so close to you that, that, you're an, that you annoy me, and I'm going to try to— we're called to love our neighbors, not just um, put up with our well, neighbors. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually preaching on the uh, compassion of Jesus this week, and the, the Greek word for compassion is splankna, which mm-hmm. is the connective tissue in your stum- in your belly mm-hmm. that holds your organs from all sagging to the bottom. And it's when you get butterflies in your stomach, it's that feeling that you get. It's the mm-hmm. when you feel compassionate. You f- I mean, the, the, the Greeks understood that you felt that in your, in mm-hmm. your belly. I mean, I had a professor who used to talk about the tummy feeling. Mm-hmm. He didn't want us to understand it. He didn't want us to memorize uh, formulas. He wanted us to get the tummy feeling for how it works. So, okay. And that's how the Greeks view it. And... And the Stoics would say, 
No. I, no tummy I, I don't want <laughs> my tummy affected by you. you know? So this is, I, I, I like take it down to the bottom shelf, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that, that I think is, um, is important, and, and this re- uh, relates to several other episodes that we've had on ideologies and other ways of viewing the world, they, uh, they can only go so far. And I think Stoicism is one of those things that does only go so far. Basically, it only goes outside what I can reach in my bubble because right. it affects me and how I view the world, right. not and other, what I can affect, right, and not other people. And so, as a as a philosophy or as an organizing principle, it is not adequate to explain the world or to understand the world or to function in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, just. You know, we looked at what nationalism, liberalism, conservatism, other mm-hmm. ideologies mm-hmm. that had pieces or had parts, but did not were not able to comprehend the whole. And I think that's I think we need to you know sort of lay that against stoicism as well, because for you know I mean I was just confessing earlier that I was a stoic, but even even the things that I have taken from that are inadequate to help me in in other situations, mm. in moral situations or in relational situations. So anyway, I, I think we need to say, you know, to the degree there are some helpful things as a way of viewing the world. But, and, and because it's so popular now, you might say, mm-hmm. or so um, there's so much of it around, you have to say, th- it, you know, there's part I like, but it doesn't, it isn't a good substitute for Christianity. Let me right. say it. That's really what I wanted to get to say, is it doesn't substitute because it doesn't, you know, cover the whole uh, experience of life, especially mm-hmm. with other people. So, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So that's I don't know, a little warning, I guess, based on what I recently discussed and, and read in my book group, um, and maybe just a caution for you. Are you prone to take the guiding principles of whatever whatever happens to be loudest right now in Western civilization? There is kind of a resurgence of Stoicism, and it's mm-hmm. becoming uh, popular again. Um, be, beware any ism that says this is how you ought to live all of life. Um, that's probably a good principle <laughs> to live good, by. <laughs> a good indication, yeah. Um, and, and be careful lest they lead you down a path that is antithetical to your nature, to who we ought to be, who we are meant to be, um, and I think where the the path um, that leads to the good life leads to um, the kingdom, which mm-hmm. is what we talk about all the time on this podcast. So, well, this is um, you, you know th- this is really two episodes in a row, Eric, where we've kind of followed you, you know, followed you on the the nerd trail here. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I suppose you know if there are other nerd related you know topics that listeners would like us to take up mm. you know they should probably write in and, and tell yeah. you to follow you know follow eric's nerddom here or, go, yeah. or something but um anyway it, I, pr- I appreciate you bringing it up i mean when you first brought it up i was just shaking my head thinking how in the world does this apply to life and all mm-hmm. of a sudden it applied to lots of life mm-hmm. and it has its limits so i i appreciate you bringing it up and you know if i was one to write uh, a comment or a email to a podcast i'd probably ask for more eric there we go there you go well, if, if you are like Scott and you want more, <laughs> uh, do send us an email uh, at comment city on a hill podcast. Or if you want less, I suppose. Or if you want too, less, yeah. either way, we'll take the emails. <laughs> um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can write reviews. 
and you can say more nerddom, less nerddom. I, I have to say the depths of nerddom are, have not been plumbed. So oh, dear. <laughs> so be careful what you ask for careful. is what he's saying. <laughs> uh, share the podcast with a friend, and uh, we look forward to the next conversation.